Welcome back, everyone. This is the Digital Education Podcast, and I am Eric Ellison. I get the opportunity to talk with friends about leadership and innovation in schools and education, the profession that we love. And today I'm with Emily Norman. Emily did a short podcast for me this summer um, when we were doing different series, but Emily is the head of networks for the Church of England Foundation for Educational Leadership, where she brings together school leaders from around England to think collaboratively about what it means to put a Christian vision into practice. And the fun part is Emily and I are working on a cross kind of ocean, uh, cross Atlantic network with um, American leaders as well as English leaders. And and one of the things that we're spending a lot of time diving into, and and we'll talk about this in in the podcast, is removing disadvantage and how do we grow our networks a little bit and how do we make them more diverse, more inclusive but Emily, take me through a little bit of the context of what it, what, what the disadvantages are and, and the focus of removing disadvantage in the English schools. Yeah, thanks, Eric. It's great to be here with you again. Um, and really looking forward to getting this network going with um, the leaders, both from your side of the pond and our side of the pond. And um, here in the UK, um, as, as much as in the US, I think there's been such an urgent call um, to really address um, issues of um, racial and uh, inequality and injustice. Um, and we see that um, really sadly in our schools. Um, so we see situations uh, like where if you are a black Caribbean boy, you're much more likely, about four times more likely to be excluded from school on the basis of your behavior. Um, we've seen a huge overrepresentation in the number of COVID cases amongst people of Black, Asian, and minority ethnic backgrounds. And um, uh, we have um, serious um, imbalances of power, for example, in our leadership. Um, you know, uh, where I live in, in London, about 45% of the kids in our schools are from a Black, Asian, or minority ethnic backgrounds, but um, very few of our school leaders are, are people of color. And uh, p- uh, the kids are just not seeing um, role models, people who look like them, people who represent their communities in those leadership positions for them to aspire to. Um, so we, um, we are in a situation here, um, as I know you guys are in the US, of really wanting to de- work seriously to address some of these issues to bring about some more equality um, in our system. So, Emily, before I, I want to ask you a little bit about your own personal experience, because I got to visit, you know, one of the schools where you were the head teacher and it was a pretty incredible place and, and an incredibly diverse place, too. And but before we go there, uh, one of the things I know is that you studied classical languages. Right. And so one of the things that we've talked about in the past is just the terminology of, uh, you know, xenophobia or xeno. And what that what Zeno truly means and why that that's important as we look to remove disadvantage and then even to expand leadership um, within our schools. Right. Um, so xenophobia is a word that everybody's pretty familiar with these days. But um, actually, this idea of a, of a xenos or a xenia um, would be it's a really multifaceted word in the ancient Greek language. And um, the word could mean um, a stranger, a foreigner. Um, a guest or a friend, and it had all those kind of meanings. And there was a real um, sense in Greek culture 
that if, if somebody came into your community, into your house, you were required to offer them hospitality. Um, and it was a real cultural con contract that um, you should allow the person in, you should make them welcome, you should make them feel like they belong, they're almost like a part of your family. And um, there was that expectation that would happen, whoever the person was. And on the other side, you would expect that the person who you invited in um, would, would uh, make the most of that hospitality, wouldn't um, uh, take advantage of it or do you any harm. So there was a real sense within that culture of hospitality being central. Um, but it's interesting how we flipped the word. Um, you know, we've got this idea of the fear, xenophobia means the fear of people who are strange or different. And we've lost this whole sense of a, of a xenos being somebody who actually may start off as a stranger, but ends up becoming a friend, somebody who is totally embedded in our culture, someone who belongs. And I think, you know, we've, we've started to talk um, on the UK side about this idea of um, how, how we can set about looking for diversity um, in terms of representation in our school communities, but unless that diversity moves into inclusion and moves into true belonging, all we're really doing is we're just ticking boxes that look quite good, give us good optics. It's not about having a truly inclusive environment where everybody can flourish and thrive. And one of the things that um, is constantly on my mind is this idea of, um, so I know you will know Eric, but in the Church of England vision for education, our strap line is all based around this idea of life in all its fullness. And for us, you know, we're really exploring the fact that actually we can't have life in all its fullness unless everybody is at the table. Um, you know, if, if, if everybody at the table looks exactly like me, I'm not having a fullness of life experience unless we're, uh, we're inviting all different kinds of people to our table and all those people feel like they have a voice, they have a part to play, that they're truly welcome, that they um, can truly contribute to whatever discussion is going on around the table then actually we're not experiencing that true fullness of life. And so that's what we're looking for here. We're looking to move way beyond strangers and guests. We're looking to move towards um, friends and family and belonging and a sense of actually we understand fullness of life because we're experiencing it um, in all its, um, uh, it is in, in terms of seeing all God's creation all coming together. So, so one of the things that, you know, in leadership, people will talk about leadership being really lonely and school leadership being incredibly lonely, the responsibilities, mm -hmm. the loneliness. Mm -hmm. So for leaders, right, and especially for new leaders, why are networks and connectivity so important to then this, this idea? And I love that, that, that word and how you explain it, because in my mind, I think about the, the movement of somebody from a stranger to a guest, to a friend, right? And that's how oftentimes these, these relationships build. And, and even in one word, it's kind of encapsulates a lot of it. But why, why are networks so important to create the connectivity that number one, allows us to be more inclusive, be more diverse, but then allows us to get deeply into those issues of removing disadvantage? Yeah, great question. So, um, but for many of us, uh, we we might be in a community with with lots of people who are familiar to us, who um, think the same as us, who look the same as us, who've got the similar ideas to us. We're never going to break out 
of that way of thinking unless we meet people who are different to us. And that's where the power of the networking comes in, that we can hear different voices, we can hear different opinions, we can hear things reflected back to us and we can hear feedback from people. Um, but we can also be there to really support one another and cheer one another on. Um, and we can be there to um, to sort of look outside of our, our own doors. So, you know, if, if I'm in a rural village um, in, um, in England and uh, all the children in the school um, are from a very mon monocultural background, if I'm networking with people in different parts of the country or even different parts of the world, suddenly those opportunities open up in terms of, um, you know, we're able to have this conversation now, Eric, across, you know, thousands of miles. And actually all of that connectivity is available to schools um, if they make use of it. And through the networks, we can actually facilitate those conversations to happen. So, um, so schools in rural England can connect with um, a school in Philadelphia and a school in South London can connect with a, uh, a small village school and maybe in Texas, you know, you've got all these opportunities for people to hear um, different ways of thinking, to be challenged, to be supported and to be cheered on in their journey towards uh, wanting to have that full table where everybody belongs. So one of the questions I want to ask you is because it, it's something that we get to talk about a little bit. And, um, we, you know, John Eckert in the last podcast, you know, in regards to he, he asked the question, who do we need? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at leadership and we look at the collective nature of leadership in our schools, who do we need? And I think one of the questions that you and I have been talking about, who's missing? Right. And so much in school leadership and you mentioned it, school leadership tends to be um, here in the United States, you know, heavily male dominated, you know, white male in particular, um, you know, women, you know, it, it has grown significantly, but there's still great growth to be had. Young leaders are oftentimes left out um, and then, you know, diverse candidates, um, you know, like so who's missing and then how do we take an approach to say hey if i care about this in my school and in my community in my life i also need to think about it in my leadership team leadership development of the adults you know in my school and around me yeah um really really important um people who are missing you know statistically we know that the people who are missing are people who are from a, a non-white background you know white leaders are dominating in the UK as I know they are in the US um, in schools there as well and we're not seeing people um, come up into leadership positions but the problem is is that we've got leaders who are looking for people who look like them so we've got to think differently. We've got to have a really different mindset about what, what a leader looks like and um, what sorts of leaders we're looking to encourage. Um, I was talking to Alana Gay, who is a wonderful person that we're working with here in the UK, who set up um, the um, BAME Ed Foundation in the UK. Um, and she talked about head teachers as gatekeepers. You know, they're the people who get to decide whether people make it up through the, through the levels of leadership or not. Um, and so as head teachers or as systems leaders or as um, CEOs or anybody who has any kind of influence or power, we've got to rethink uh, what our culture looks like. Is it a culture where all different kinds of people can thrive truly? 
Um, is it a culture where actually we're looking for people who do things a, a little bit differently and we celebrate that? We're not saying, oh, gosh, I'm not sure about that. That's really different to how I would do it. We actually we're looking for um, uh, things that are different and life giving and interesting. We're encouraging one another. So we're um, we're really seeking to to. Um, to put other people forward. So if we spot someone who is, uh, we think this person could be a great leader, we cheer them on, we we support them, we mentor them, we we say, hang on a minute, don't look at me, look at this person over here. Um, but um, we were listening to um, a lady here from the UK called uh, Dr. Elizabeth Henry the other day who talked about the need to relinquish power. And a lot of this is about um, whether we're going to cling on to the power that we have or whether we're willing to set aside that power and actually um, seek to lift up other people. Um, and I know you love the Greek, so I'm going to throw this one in for you, Eric. Um, in the Greek New Testament, um, Paul uses two different words to talk about ambition. And um, those two words are one is erotheia, which means a self-seeking uh, pursuit of office by unfair means. It's basically that idea that I'll trample over anybody I can to get to the top. You know, and we see that, don't we, in culture around us, this sense of ambition of as long as I can get the power, I will do whatever it takes. But there is another kind of ambition. He uses a second word, which is philotimomeo, which means I consider it an honour to serve other people. And it's the kind of ambition that he talks about when he talks about Jesus, who is fully God and has all the power that there is to have and yet lays it aside. And in terms of our Christian leadership, you know, are we willing to follow that path that Jesus sets out for us, where we lay aside our power because we're seeking to serve other people and we're wanting other people to do uh, all that we did and then some. We want people to do, be doing better even than we did and we're lifting up people around us um, So and having let our power go to one side. And that that's, might sound easy, but actually it's hugely challenging. Yeah, I mean, I've had some of those conversations with a number of my friends, you know, especially benefactors, mentors, you know, people who've opened doors for me as they kind of come to the end of their careers, um, you know, is that, is that lessening or the giving away, you know, they've served incredibly in their communities and in their schools. And, and I think school leaders, right, because we get so intertwined in this community that we lead, it's really, really hard to hand off that that role and that responsibility to somebody else while we're still there yeah. you know um can i ask a question about your own leadership because you were really you were really young right when you when you <laughs> i was quite young yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did, like yeah. when you look back now do you did did you feel young then when you were a young leader um so it's an interesting one so um so my my father was a, a head teacher um, and I had actually kind of uh, entered into the teaching career thinking, well, I'll be a classroom teacher, but I'm never going to do that. <laughs> so, and of course, the classic thing is, you know, having said I'm never going to become a head teacher, I sort of found myself um, thrown into it. Um, so the person that I worked for um, moved on to another job and um, I, I took over as an interim. And as things often happen, you get into it and then you realise um, actually 
probably I can give this a go. <laughs> but um, I, I was very fortunate because I, I had a fantastic team. And so for me, in my first role as a, as a head teacher principal was the fact that it was a very much a team effort. I had a team who were totally behind me. They believed in me. Um, I'm not entirely sure why sometimes, but but they have my back and we did it together. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about collective leadership is I know that I couldn't have done what I did if I didn't have some really fantastic people behind me who um, who we, who operated with me as a strong unit. Um, and it's something that as I moved into another role, I sought to um, I sought to form a team of people full of complementary strengths and trying to draw people with different strengths, different ideas, having that real kind of diversity of thought um, around the table, um, and knowing that we were stronger together. Um, and uh, I know you talk about the kind of lone wolf leadership. The lone wolf leadership has never really worked for me. Um, but actually, I've, I've uh, thrived in leadership when I've been part of a really great team. And, and you, even at a young age, right? I, I've been to the school where you were head teacher with you, yeah. and you know where where you're now a guest in the place where you were once a leader. And you, but you're also then kind of a mentor or a support or an encourager in your new role as head of networks to the new leader of that school. So what's it like to be, or, or what would you challenge, you know, even in those lessons, what would you challenge new leaders to, to do or to think about as they, you know, cheer on um, younger leaders or cheer on, you know, the, the good things that are happening or identify like, you know, hey, I wouldn't do it that way, but you know what, go after it. Um, and then how, how do you create that kind of um, generous inclusion. I'm not going to say the big, long Greek word that you just said, you know, <laughs> but, 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 but that idea of how can I, how can I draw in, but then also help these people push out? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that I would say is you have to become a very, very good listener. Um, any leader who goes into a school thinking they know all the answers, um, I, I worry about I worry about them because you need to hear what it is that people um, are looking for from you, are needing from you, are um, you need to help them to feel secure. And the way that you help them to feel secure is to know that they are listened to, they are valued, and that you are wanting to do the best by them. Um, so the first thing I would say is the a crucial um, element or particularly when you're starting out to really really listen so as I moved into my second role um, as a school leader there was a there was a worry and a concern that oh she's done it this way in her first school she's just going to come in here and turn this into a carbon copy and actually we can't do that school environments are all unique they're all different they're all they're wonderful in their unique in their unique we can't just move from place to place imposing our own style of leadership or our own way of doing things. Um, uh, I would say it's really important to find out who your allies are and I, by that I don't mean people who you can kind of gather in the corner with and whisper to, I mean who shares your values, who's got the same vision for what you're trying to do, find those people quickly and get them um, cheering for you and cheering for the projects and cheering for the, the direction the school is moving in because actually if they're brought into your vision and into your values um, they will go through all kinds of really difficult things with you but um, but they will know that there is a reason and a purpose behind doing that um, and um, 
in terms of that sort of sense of generosity um, and inclusion, I just, um, I think it just, it has to be totally ingrained in the culture. So it is a real mindset thing. And, um, and Edgar Schein talks about those three levels of culture. You know, you start out by being very explicit about this is what we need to do, which again comes back to your vision and your values. Why are we doing it the way that we're doing it? And then as people start to put those things into practice, they're lived out a little bit more regularly. And eventually um, the schools that I, I, I used to inspect schools and I would visit schools where um, where it was so embedded in the culture, they almost they, they it was hard for them to explain it. But you it was just ev in every element of what they were doing. It was just lived out and breathed through every corridor and every person in, in the environment. Um, and so it's about, you know, it starts with us. It starts with us as leaders. We have to take responsibility for, you know, culture change and mind shifts of the kinds that we are wanting. They start with us. And are we um, willing to take responsibility for the sort of change that needs to happen? Because if we're not, it's, it's not going, other people are not going to change if we're not willing to model what it looks like to change if we're not willing to model what it looks like to serve other people rather than trample on other people. And if we're not willing to, to demonstrate what it looks like to, to really include people and for them to feel like they belong because we've truly listened to them and we really want their voices to be heard. So I wanna ask two last questions. One, maybe push and, and, and interesting kind of on that you know side of things and then one a little bit of a fun one. Um, yeah. <laughs> but 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 on that where I want to push a little bit more because you do talk about the leadership and you do talk about the inclusive nature of who we are as people. And, and what I find often is that people desire these good things. They desire an inclusive, diverse community. They desire to, to be a part of solving these really difficult and hard problems. But then when you look at their personal life, they don't live it out. Right. Mm -hmm. So so they don't have diverse networks. They don't have diverse friend groups. They don't they don't engage with with people that are different than them very often. Like, you know, and, and I think sometimes the hard part about educators is we spend so much time in schools and with other educators that we we mm -hmm. we, we you know, we don't sometimes we make the excuse we don't have time to break out of some of the bubbles that we've you know, that we spend so much time in. So how would you push somebody that says, hey, you know what, your desire, your heart is there and you want to do this and you talk about the listening and you talk about kind of the learning and the growing, but how can I, how can I do it in a school if I'm not doing it in my own life? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it comes back to you um, in the Cool Connected uh, Committed document, Andy and David Ford talk about this idea of um, we don't just pursue diversity because it's right. We pursue diversity because it's better. And we've got to get that understanding in our head. We're not just trying to do something that, that looks good or is the thing that we think is the correct thing to do. We've got to fully embody the sense that actually diversity is something that we do because it's so much better. It's the way the world was created to be and it's the way that we're designed to be. We're designed to belong to one another, to be in connection with one another and we've got to get that for ourselves and that starts with being really really honest um, I think one of the reasons why people say they want to do this work and then stop is because it becomes really uncomfortable and it and it brings up stuff in them that makes them um, feel really really um, 
this doesn't feel good. This is not a pleasant experience. And we have to push into that because there is stuff. I look back at my own leadership career and there are things that I'm really embarrassed that I did that I now on reflection, I think that was not okay. And that was not right. And I shouldn't have done it that way. But we have to make that really, really searching inventory of ourselves to know that actually, if we want to do this better, we've got to be willing to address the stuff in us that is, is um, that there are stereotypes that we might have or ways of thinking that um, end up in, in um, behavior that it, that isn't okay or, um, it, or oppresses other people or um, because we like to protect ourselves, right? We like to be thought of as a good person and, a, a, and be, uh, have a good reputation and we wanna protect that. But all of this means we have to be willing to lay aside all of that stuff and say, I'm here to learn, I want to do better. Um, I will do better and um, but we've got to go through the discomfort to get to that place. Okay so I said I was going to ask one fun question but I got another question because I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking about even our conversation and and very much of my questions or my conversation is like you know comes from a position of you know I'm the insider right and how do I expand the bubble for others right what if I'm the outsider what if I am that, you know, diverse person that sees or is, is part of a, a school community and says, you know, maybe I'm, I'm that new teacher or that young teacher, or maybe I'm that developing person or maybe that person that in education that says, I want to make a difference in my community, um, you know, or that per- parent, pastor or somebody else that's looking outside that says, hey, you know what, we're, we're a part of this community too, but we're not included. And we see all kinds of different approaches to this, but what would be the encouragement, you know, I think maybe, you know, from your side of things, you know, the young female leaders or, you know, to others who might not look like the norm in this, what's, what's the encouragement that says, hey, you know what, here, here's maybe a couple encouragements on how to enter into this, Um, you know, because it is, you got to be bold to enter into that when you're not part of the normative kind of power structures. Right. Um, I think uh, I would come back to this idea of we're stronger together. Um, so to find other people, say, as a, as a um, you know, a young female leader, I found other young female leaders and we got together and, um, and we would talk about um, things together and actually sharing those things um, was helpful, but also um, our, our collective power of being able to address certain things that um, patterns of behavior that we that we came across um, made uh, made us more confident I guess to approach those things um, I think it's hard I think I think the responsibility rests with uh, with us with those of us who do have the power to, to do things differently um, and to ensure those people are part of our conversations um, but I would encourage people just um, to not to stop speaking up um, and um, and I would hope that for us um, in the people in our networks I'm so grateful that we've got um, a, a great diverse group of people taking part in this network and I, I want them to keep speaking up and keep um, speaking out about what it's like for them so that um, the rest of us can um, can make the changes that they need in order for um, the future to look different for them. Oh, that's great. Um, Emily, all right. So I just want to end on a fun note, right? Because this is serious conversation. And I look forward to the work that we get to do together to kind of say, hey, how do we, how do we, how do we have these hard conversations and grow and develop? 
Um, but but you, you through Twitter, you turned me on to the funniest show I've seen in years. <laughs> Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I, I think it had helped that I was in, you know, in London and in your yeah. community, you know, yeah. prior to the to the shutdown. Um, but but why Ted? Why does that like? Why is it so funny? Number one, but why is it so encouraging from a leadership perspective? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, if you want to watch a funny show and learn a few things mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah, I mean, so I love Ted Lasso because Ted Lasso um, comes to to live in the town where I live, um, which is great. Um, but also reminds me a lot of um, uh, people like you, Eric, who came and visited us in the UK. But um, on a serious note, one of the things that I just really love about that show is um, the way he builds a team and the way he lifts other people up. He he doesn't have an ego. He's not interested in in glory for himself. He 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 constantly looks to um, uh, looks to give people um, a way uh, a way up. And actually, the people who are the superstars don't get very far with him. He says, you know, make the extra pass is his thing all the time. Make the extra pass, make the extra pass. Don't be in it for your own personal glory. You know, think about the team and think about how you could pass the ball to somebody else so they can get the glory. And, you know, I love that way of thinking about leadership. You know, it's not about our own personal credit. It's not about us collecting badges. It's about who can I look to to make that extra pass to give them the ball so that they can really go for it and they can really run with it. Um, and that's that's the kind of leadership that I really admire. Um, it's very, very funny. <laughs> And there's some great stuff about um, uh, the kind of the differences between in the language between the US and the UK. Um, but yeah, I think we could all do with being a little bit more Ted Lasso. And um, in one of the final episodes, um, one of my favorite things he says is he says, you know, I was taught never um, to think uh, with judgment. I was taught always to be curious. And he says, every situation I look at, I look at it with curiosity, not judgment. And I think as a leader, that's probably one of the smartest things we can do is step back, observe what's going on, get curious about it, and then think about being wise in the way that we act. Yeah, it is a great show. I even <laughs> I even made a little post-it note thing that said believe on it and I put it on my my, my window right and it's like I'm gonna hit it so believe in Richmond AFC <laughs> there we go well yeah. Emily thank you so much pleasure